Greetings, friends, and welcome back to an episode of Little Wars FM. I'm uh, Greg, and I'm joined today by my favorite co-host, truly, and he knows he's my favorite, Tony. And uh, Tony, you and I have a really special guest today. I'm frankly in awe that we were able to secure him as he is a Caesar Award-winning video creator. And my favorite YouTube uh, fix at the moment. It feels weird to introduce our guest as Troy because for the last two and a half years that I have watched his channel, I just refer to him as Sonic. He is Sonic Sledgehammer. Uh, so, Troy, what, what are we supposed to call you today? Um, honestly, I always find it a little strange when people end up calling me Sonic. Um, it is it's the strangest thing because, you know, online handles and all that, but uh, Troy, Troy is fine. I've been that for a little while, so if we keep using that, that works. <laughs> well, Tony and I are definitely big fans of your channel. I think it was Tony that first suggested a couple of weeks ago we try reaching out to you to see if we could do a chat, um, which I'm, I'm glad we were able to uh, pull it together. And and before we get into it, we have a lot of questions about your channel and, and how it got started and where it's going. But uh, where did the name Sonic Sledgehammer Studio come from? Oh, goodness. This actually goes back very many years. I was 14. And if you can imagine back before the days of the Doctor Who reboot, when they Christopher Eccleston came on, I was a I was an old school fan. And, uh, you know, John Pertwee and Tom Baker were my favorite doctors. And the sonic screwdriver was my favorite bit of sci-fi kit going. So when I thought, age 14, what's the, what's the least subtle thing I can think of as a, a tool that would be made sonic? Sonic Sledgehammer is what came to mind. And it's always, for the, these many long years in between, just been sat in the back of my head waiting for an opportunity to be unleashed as it were. And yeah, my 14-year-old self would be shocked. I think that uh, anybody else knew that name. <laughs> I thought we were going for a uh, Sonic the Hedgehog reference because I am of that age where I grew up playing the Sega, you know, Sega Genesis game. But uh, your story is a little bit cooler and slightly less nerdy <laughs> than mine, I guess. I don't know. I was, I was a Sonic kid too. You know, the, the, the original console wars, the old Sega versus Nintendo. I remember. Guess which side I was on. Yeah, me too. We lost, by the way. <laughs> I'm not going to comment about what the actual original console wars were, because that'll <laughs> that'll give away my age. So, Troy, uh, your accent does not sound like a German accent, even though I know you are currently living in Germany. You you appear to be a pretty well-traveled man. Uh, could you give us a little bit of your backstory of how you wound up in Germany? Because I know that there were multiple stops before that. It's It's been quite a journey. Uh, my accent, funnily enough, has always sounded a little weird to wherever I'm from. Uh, I'm from New Zealand originally, Kiwi kid growing up. Uh, and then at 17, my mum said, hey, do you want to move to England? And England still not being Germany, you can guess there's a couple more steps along the way. <laughs> uh, but, you know, moved to England, spent almost 10 years there. So my accent went on a bit of a walkabout tour, moved back to New Zealand for a while. Uh, my, my wife, we met in England. She is German. And there's the, there's the clue. After a couple of years in New Zealand, we then moved finally to Germany, where uh, we've been living now for five or six years. So, 
yeah, how I sound <laughs> kind of throws a lot of people trying to figure out where I'm from, especially when they see like German products in the background of the videos. I got to tell you, I, of all the stuff I watch on YouTube, yours is one of the few things that I go to continuously. My girlfriend um, seldom watches when I'm delving into historical or miniature stuff, but she really likes your channel. She was excited when I said, hey, we're going to talk to this guy. She's like, oh, cool. And I, there's a certain appeal about your channel and about your presentation, I think, that draws a a broad audience and i'm kind of curious because i suspect that historical miniatures isn't your main focus that there's um there's some gw space marine thing going on there <laughs> yeah guilty <laughs> guilty um the i mean it all sort of has to do with where i got my start in the hobby um you know games workshop Warhammer 40,000 and all that broad stable of miniatures was where I got my intro. So I've always ended up collecting more, you know, science fiction and fantasy miniatures. So when I started putting together the videos and saying, hey, here is literally how I paint things, <laughs> you know, it's a case of me going to the massive plastic pile of shame and picking something off and just deciding, okay, today I'm going to paint this and it will be fun. Um, as for historicals, that's been, you know, the focus over the last sort of year or so, um, you might think of it as kind of a Trojan horse situation where I've got everybody, you know, all of these space Marine fans and skeleton fans and what have you, I'm now gently pushing <laughs> the historical angle. Um, but it is, you know, just really a case of what interests me at any given moment. That's excellent. I, um, as someone who dabbles between historicals and fantasy miniatures, I like that there's somebody I can look at and like, oh, he's going to paint some fantasy stuff today. Oh, he's painting some historical stuff. And I can pick up some tips and techniques for either without having to admit that, mm, yeah, I, I, I do fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's something that, um, quite a few people comment on, you know, the variety of miniatures that I do. Um, so it is something which I think there is an audience for, you know, there are a lot of channels out there that paint exclusively Games Workshop or whatever else, but someone who's just, you know, sitting at the club essentially and saying, hey, look at all these cool toys. Um, I think there's a, to toot my own horn, as it were, I think there's a bit of value in that. Oh, absolutely. And I see you do a couple of, you go back and forth, um, there's some 15 millimeter, there's some 28s or 32s or whatever the heck they're <laughs> marketing them as now. Is there a particular scale, if you were to concentrate on just doing one thing, is there a particular scale you prefer, whether it's for painting or gaming? If, if I had to pick one, I'd say it would be that 28 to 32, 156 scale has always been my, you know, my favorite. There's just such a vast selection of miniatures out there. And I think for spectacle, I, as someone who paints probably more than I play, I prefer the larger canvas of a slightly bigger miniature. Um, looking at some of the games that are out there, 
you know, particularly six and 15 millimeter figures recently that I've really started taking an interest in. If you were still to ask me to pick, I'd have to say 28 mil is the, is the favorite. And you mentioned that you paint more than you game. Um, sadly, given the state of my room here that I'm sitting in, <laughs> I'm apparently gaming more than I'm painting. What sort of gaming, uh, when you have the opportunity, what sort of gaming are you gravitating to? Is there anything in particular or is there a particular genre that you, you prefer? Um, it's really down to whatever I'm feeling at the moment. Um, I'm pretty lucky that, you know, my collection spans so many years and so many different things that if I watch a movie or something that just hits me in the right way, I'll go pick up something which is relevant. Um, one that has really seen a lot of playtime recently is Frostgrave. Uh, my other half, she was interested in that too. So, you know, with opponents being in short supply at the moment, you, you take it where you can get, and uh, she's been enjoying that as well. But, yeah, I, I play a little of everything, and it's never, never as fixed as I guess some people might like. <laughs> Now our club's pretty eclectic as well, even occasionally slipping in a uh, a hidden sci-fi or fantasy game when the cameras aren't rolling. So the eclectic nature, I think that uh, that's the case for a lot of clubs. Um, and I am curious because I, I don't know much about the gaming scene in Germany. How how long have you been in Germany? And I know you're about to make a move within the country. And what what is the gaming scene like there? I mean, pre-COVID, COVID has changed everything. But before that, did you have a regular club that you were a part of? Or are there, are there players? Uh, there are actually quite a few uh, gaming clubs and stuff like that. Uh, I'm, <laughs> ironically enough, I'm actually quite a shy person. So I find it difficult to sort of put myself out and, uh, you know, meet new club members and things like that. Uh, but I know that there is quite a presence here, um, and not just for Games Workshop and other Citadel stuff. Um, I know quite close to where I'm going to be moving to, there is a club that plays a lot of historical stuff, um, particularly they're into bolt action. So hoping I can squeeze some games in there once we've all got the, <laughs> once we've got our shots. Um, yeah, gaming here, I'd say is probably a little more reminiscent. Uh, similar rather to how things are in the US because you know as as I understand most of you guys gaming is done at clubs and stuff and similar sort of situation here where not everybody's got the room <laughs> you've got to find a room big enough to keep all your mates in so clubs are the way to get things done around here yeah there would be we're blessed in that we have a, a wealthy benefactor who has managed to provide us with a beautiful space to game in. Um, but a lot of groups, a lot of groups in the U S are playing games at the local comic book store or game shop. Um, I, I don't know that that gaming at home as a club, I don't know that it's practical. It doesn't seem to be done a lot here. Um, generally meeting it up with uh, the buds at the club, um, whether it's a comic book store or something similar to that, seems to be the way to go. And I think that presents a, an opportunity for, you know, meeting new people and getting new people involved, whereas you're gaming in somebody's basement. I, 
one of our friends has a beautiful gaming room in his basement, but there's that uh, connotation of, oh, yeah, I'm going to have some people over to my house and invite them down to the basement that <laughs> puts off, you know. <laughs> Maybe it's all the horror films I've watched, but it puts off uh, some element of the uh, of the populace. So yeah, the, I, the, I think that club scene is is a valid way to get people into the hobby. That's interesting. You know, I had always heard, and then this this is anecdotal, and it goes back several years that wargaming in Germany was a uh, not as popular because it's you know, Germany has a, a very sensitive history in the uh, 20th century. Uh, and there weren't as many people that were comfortable going out and playing war games. And I'm sure over time that does change. But do you sense any kind of lingering hangover of that, of people who are resistant to get into the hobby because they feel it's maybe too sensitive? It's actually a really interesting discussion uh, that takes place here pretty much every time you see a large influx of new people coming to wargaming. Um, I'm not sure if it's just the guys that I know or if it is indicative of you know more of the country, but we've had some really interesting talks about what it means to play historical wargames, you know, whether or not that is essentially appropriate given that history. Um, and general consensus is really one of respect for the historical sources, you know, what happened, what were the facts. You're not likely to see folks here running around with, you know, Waffen SS uh, armies on the table. It's, there is still that resistance. But as far as historical wargaming, and particularly World War II, I think there's less resistance. There is a real interest as long as it's approached with genuine interest and Compassion is not the right word. What am I looking for? Sensitivity towards the topic. Sure. No, I, and that's something that we talk about in our club all the time uh, for for our gaming here, uh, particularly for us. You know, when it comes to ultra modern gaming, you know, even even for me, I, I don't have any direct military experience, but sometimes it does feel a little strange to you know play a game set in Afghanistan. I mean, there are still there are still U.S. troops fighting in Afghanistan 20 years later. So that's an active conflict that people play a war mm. game on. So there is a an appropriateness question. And of course, in Germany, given Germany's unusual history, you know, those questions are magnified tenfold. Um, and it always seemed like that might be something holding back interest in wargaming. So I, I, to me, it's nice to hear that there are people who are over there taking it uh, taking it seriously and, and who are feeling like they might be able to tread into that because it is a great hobby to explore history if you're interested in the history and respectful of it. We've been fortunate here in the U.S. in that we've avoided any real national discussion about the American Civil War now for 100 <laughs> yeah, years. We'll just keep ignoring that. We'll keep avoiding it. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> always easier not to confront that uh well we've we've gone way we've gone way off the rails and i want to pivot this discussion back to <laughs> one of the main reasons we invited you on here troy we want to talk about your channel because we are also content creators here at little wars tv we've been doing it for a few years you've been doing it i believe a little longer than us and uh one of my questions is uh how long have you been doing this i i we've we started about two and a half years ago 
Uh, and, uh, and why did you start? Was this just, did you have a plan in mind that you were going to try and maybe build up a small channel or did you, were you just throwing videos out there and thought, oh, I'll just film myself painting at my desk? Uh, honestly, the idea that there was ever a plan is giving me far more credit than, <laughs> than I deserve. <laughs> uh, it, it genuinely just started, like you said, me recording myself painting at my desk um, I have a couple of buddies in the US who knew that I'd been painting for a while and they wanted to put some painted miniatures on the table. I think it was for a Call of Cthulhu game. So I thought, hey, you know, basic colors and washes and shades, that sort of stuff. That's really simple. I'll just record that so that I can show them. And then people started asking questions. And I thought, well, the easiest way to answer a question of that nature is to demonstrate. So out came the camera again, and one thing led to another, and I think it, we're on year four of the channel, and um, yeah, any success has been completely accidental, so I am as bewildered as anybody. Uh, the question of how have I done this, I don't know. <laughs> it's <laughs> completely by accident, so yeah, bear that in mind if you've got any questions. Well, that's a happy accident then. As as part of that happy accident, as you've, I mean, wh why have you continued? You must be enjoying it to some to some extent. Uh, so, what uh, what what does that look like over the course of four years? Your passion clearly has not waned for the project, which it does for a lot of creators. They create a few videos, they get excited in a burst of enthusiasm, and then after a year, they're done. But you're still going. I think so much of it has to do with the feedback that I get from, you know, other hobbyists, um, in particular, like parents and students who are either returning to the hobby or picking something up that they might not have done before and saying, oh, you know, your videos have shown me a way that I can get, you know, passable results and I don't have to study painting for six years before I feel confident putting miniatures on the table. And it's just a really, it is a little warm, fuzzy feeling every time somebody says, you know, your videos have helped me with something. So I think so much of it is just based on what I find interesting. So you are guaranteed at some point there's going to be me showing you, hey, I found this cool thing, which you probably find interesting. And uh, since I'm not beholden to any one theme or a producer or whatever i'm free to just hobby butterfly so my interest is maintained by well i'm not stuck with anything so once a week where i can out comes the camera and let's have some fun let's paint some toys that's awesome greg take some notes here he's not bound by anyone <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah that that is nice so you've been doing this for quite a while and your channel's been doing this for quite a while. Tell me about how your style has evolved, um, you know, from when you started this to where you are now. I Because I have watched a lot of your videos, but I haven't really looked at it in terms of this is what he was doing X number of years ago compared to the techniques you're using now. But talk to us about how your style has evolved and how you think the what do you think about how the painting styles in general are evolving? I mean, you know, washes and contrast colors and all that are all the rage now. So, you know, 
contrast and compare your style now versus your style. <laughs> um, I mean, contrast is an interesting, um, it's an interesting point on the whole subject of how my style has changed because I would, I would suggest in the main, if you watch a recent video and then go back to some of the very earliest, I'm not doing anything hugely different. Um, in the main, I tend to be finding either new products or a slightly different way of doing something, which is just honing my particular style. Uh, you know, very simple dry brush highlights, shades, that sort of stuff. You know, I, I would describe my painting as quite workmanlike in the main, but with the addition of one or two little details, you know, you can you can bring something up. You can give it that pop, as, as people like to say. So I'd say probably my style hasn't changed much, but a lot of products and discoveries over the years have made that easier for me to do. So hopefully that translates into others finding it simpler too. <laughs> you, you've kind of inspired me to play with washes and contrast because for years and years and years that was nothing that that wasn't my style and now i'm like oh well he did this thing and it looked pretty simple let me go upstairs and wreck a couple of miniatures and see if i could duplicate that and i think you bring that i think one of the things that your channel does very well and that your presentation of the work does very well is you make it seem attainable for Joe Everyman, who's painting up his first GI or his first ogre or whatever, your presentation of the process is very well thought out, very well documented by the camera, and it comes across as, oh, I can go do that. And I, I think that's a huge boon to the hobby. Uh, thank you. That's <laughs> really kind of you to say. Um, I do, th it, it is deliberate too. Um, I think. There is real value in somebody, I've mentioned it a few times, the idea of an easy win. You know, you want to be able to put your foot in the door and have a success when you get started painting. Uh, people, you know, who start with my sort of style will, I guarantee, almost certainly end up painting better <laughs> over the years. <laughs> uh, but, you know, my army painting method um, is one that I think is attainable. Um, you know, it's deliberately very simple. And as I'm always pointing out, you know, these are, these are toy soldiers. They're little bits of plastic. You, if you make a mistake, whatever, you know, we can strip it if we really have to, which is another one of those reasons why I leave so many of the little burps and noises and mistakes that I make in the videos, because I think some tutorials kind of lose a little something by polishing all of that out. You aren't seeing a, a genuine experience, whereas I, I'm too lazy to edit. <laughs> so you get the whole trip, you know? You, know, you mentioned being too lazy to edit, and I want to I follow up on Tony's question on how your style has evolved. You know, he was focusing on how your painting style may have evolved. I'm curious about your video style. Has that changed at all? Uh, is the way that you film a painting tutorial today the same as when you started four years ago? Uh, Recording-wise, it is still very, sim uh, very similar. Um, 
the the funny thing is, is if you'd asked me this in about a week's time, I would probably give you a completely different answer. <laughs> where where I'm going to be moving to will luckily have more space for me to set up things like booms and and uh, monitors and stuff, so I can see what I'm doing. But the the recording and the editing, I just think doesn't hasn't changed much. The editing probably is one where I have gotten a little bit more brutal. Um, some of the earlier videos, if you if you care to go years back, and I'm begging that you don't, uh, but the early stuff, I do tend to waffle and just talk probably a lot more than is necessary to get the point across. Something I'm still doing today. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is, uh, what is, in your opinion, the ideal length for a good painting tutorial? Because I've seen various lengths on your channel. Tw 15 to 20 minutes seems to be the average, but you have some that are fewer than 10 minutes. You have some that are longer than 20. Are you shooting for something when you're editing, or it just sort of takes what it takes? It does depend a bit on the miniature. Um, I like the 15 to 20 minute mark. Um, I think, you know, for most YouTube audiences, that's about the right mark. Any longer than that, and you, you're probably going to lose some people. Um, and depending on the miniature, if you trim it too short, you're going to miss out on useful stuff. Um, sometimes those real short videos, you know, eight to 10 minutes, it's just a certain, you know, a certain technique that I've discovered or something cool I wanted to show off, but um, it is very much dictated by what I am painting. Well, I'm kind of curious to get your opinion on this because I watch your painting tutorials and I find them to be sort of a model of what a painting video should, a painting tutorial video should be. Um, you seem to touch on all the points without a lot of editing or unnecessarily watching the guy brush the color on for 20 minutes kind of thing in your mind what are the salient points what are the elements that would comprise a good painting tutorial if you were to say here's somebody i like and why or if you were to make an outline of a what makes a good painting tutorial Ooh. Ooh, that's a <laughs> that's a big question. Um, I like when it comes to my stuff. I try to make sure that everything is essentially self-contained. So if you do watch back to back two or three videos of mine, you're going to see repeated information. Um, and I think that's that's a product of expecting that somebody can just jump in at any point. You know, um, if I were to say there's you know, important steps. Um, discussing thinning your paints is one of those ones which I think I probably don't cover quite as much as I should in some videos. Um, discussing, I mean, at least in my case, because I paint from so many manufacturers, an opportunity to discuss different paint brands, uh, how they might behave differently, how you might choose a different color, um, you know, I'm always trying to, when it comes to Citadel products, bless them, but there is, quote unquote, a right way to do things. And <laughs> seeing people make that jump to historicals, very often I'll get comments and questions that are, am I allowed to use this color or will this color look good? It's like, bless you guys. Y yes. <laughs> um, 
So I think a little bit of discussion about the reality and why I've chosen certain colors tends to help. Um, and then as far as demonstration, it's really just a case of, well, here's what it's going to look like going on. You don't need to see me paint every every millimeter of this guy's trousers as long as you can see how the paint will flow and how it's going to cover. And that's sort of, that's where I base most of my editing off, you know. What are the points that you really need to see for the demonstration to make sense? The rest, I can just tell you. Well, I, I think that's the thing that I, don't, I can't speak for Greg, but I know for myself, that's one of the things that draws me to your painting tutorials is that you don't spend a lot of time on the extraneous bits. Yes, okay, he's painting the trousers. Um, and you don't spend a lot of time like some of the videos will do like some speed speeded up action of the painting process and they're skipping they're skipping what i would consider important stuff to show us painting the colors i i think that you managed to hit all the important points or at least all, all the stuff in your video is important without being uh dwelled on interminably and i i think that's a, a Yours is, in my opinion, a good model. If I were to point to somebody and say, you want to do a painting tutorial, watch this guy's stuff. Um, and, our, and I think that you're presenting material at a level where advanced painters can pick up tips, but still at a level where people new to the hobby can can look at it and say, oh, I can imitate that and, and get myself rolling on painting miniatures and I well, music's a great example of that Tony because I mean I, I watch I have tried to watch tutorials that I thought were interesting topics and like half of the video or more is the guy speed painting with music in the background so oh, yeah. I'd like to hear what he's thinking like if you're going to show me the speed painting then could you at least tell me what you're doing and and Troy in your videos you know you're always talking to the viewer you're always explaining to them this is what's happening right now you know and that if you're trying to actually learn something that is far more useful than somebody playing a song and you're just watching them speed paint. Yeah, I love that royalty-free music too. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> oh, it's yeah. a nice touch. Oh, yeah. But um, one of the things that I picked up very early on when I was being taught to paint, essentially, was that the why of things is important. Um, why am I choosing this color? Why am I dry brushing rather than highlighting? Why is always the question that needs to be answered. So when you hear me waffling away in these videos, I'm normally explaining a choice, uh, which I think will help somebody when they you know, pick it up and they try it for the first time, or if they do want to adapt that technique, well, they've got a better handle on why it might be useful for them or why they might want to change it. You mentioned learning to paint. Um, where where do you think you learned to paint? And today, I mean, right now, how much YouTube do you watch? And are there other channels where you, do you have favorite channels that are painting channels that you are watching where, you know, you're getting tips? Because one of the joys of this hobby is that it's it's forever, right? You know, I mean, <laughs> we're yeah. always, all of us are always trying to improve our miniature painting, no matter what level we are at. So all of us are looking to learn somewhere. When, where are you learning today? Uh, well, I mean, I, I really got my start. Um, I was a young man and I worked for Games Workshop. So one of the things that we had to do back in the day 
uh, was paint miniatures up for the cabinets. And that was, that was honestly, ironically enough, my manager at the time, hello, Paul, <laughs> uh, he really drummed into us the idea that it doesn't need to look like it does on the box. And that was, that was mind-breaking as a young guy, you know, coming to Games Workshop and I can just dry brush a Space Marine, what? Um, and from a couple of years, you know, in retail, army painting method is really what I've been using ever since. Um, but as for picking up other stuff, you know, particularly from YouTube, uh, Storm of Steel Wargaming, you know, another uh, Caesar Award winner out there is <laughs> one of my, you know, it's one of my favorites. Um, he does do, you know, Alexi does a lot more uh, battle reports and stuff, but I love seeing what he's painting. Um, particularly because it's another fellow who's looking for the quick way. And I absolutely meticulously steal content and ideas and, and methods from anybody that I can get my hands on. So I'll, I'll put my hand up to that too. Um, there is another fella, Old Average Brit Wargaming, um, which is quite a mouthful as a channel, but... Uh, I haven't he heard of that one. Of, yeah, he does a lot of um, scenery painting like mostly Games Workshop stuff, uh, but his his style is one that I really find interesting. And I'd love to see him tackle some, you know, some, some Normandy houses or something along those lines. Um, I don't get as much time to watch and essentially consume content as I would like, but yeah, there's always, there's always someone out there that, yeah, YouTube's algorithm is generally pretty good about pointing me in the right direction. How much attention do you pay to that algorithm? Uh, are you interested? Do you go into your YouTube analytics to see how your videos perform at all? Have you have you picked up any any trends of certain types of videos you're doing or genres that are outperforming others? Because we have just kind of started within the last six months in our channel to start paying attention to YouTube analytics. And there's a lot of information in there. It can actually be a little bewildering. I've been watching tutorials, <laughs> YouTube tutorials about YouTube I have watched. Uh, how much attention are you paying to that? And what does it tell you about your channel? Oh, uh, there, there was a time when I was, it was all I was looking at, you know, um, the range of information that is available YouTube is pretty brutal about distilling into green buttons and red buttons. And, uh, you know, it being a format where it wants to advertise to people, it wants you to be making content which makes green line go up. So it will tell me quite happily, you know, Space Marine, if I want the numbers to go up, I pay the Space Marine. Life is good. <laughs> uh, but for the most part, what YouTube analytics tends to tell me, and it's actually really encouraging, is that I can paint anything I find interesting and I get the same audience come back. Um, and it's it's really neat because it means maybe it's not the, the, the thing I'm painting as much as me. And that's really sweet, you know. <laughs> uh, but the analytics, man, if you are just getting started out, it is the easiest way to drive yourself mad watching those little bar graphs and lines move up and down, it is terrifying to me. I try not to look at it anymore. <laughs> it is best, I think, just to focus on doing what you love because you can drive yourself crazy trying to chase views, looking at those analytics. Oh, this type of video is what I should be making. But yeah. 
you know, I've talked to other creators and that's the fastest way to lose your passion for what you're doing. You know, if, if you're not having fun, you're not, not going to keep making content and, and viewers are going to pick up on that. I think people can tell when you're genuinely enjoying working on something. So, uh, good, good to hear that you're not planning to, uh, to chase the dragon there and then try, <laughs> try and just please the YouTube masters, but that you're, you know, you're painting what you enjoy. Yeah, I think there's a, the, the genuine nature is what keeps people around. Um, I've had one or two videos that have just massively outperformed everything else, and they are complete shockers to me. So either YouTube picked a thumbnail that liked the look of, or people just like something more than I expected. You can't plan for it. You just got to you do what you love. I think that definitely comes across in your videos. You're passionate about what you're doing. Uh, you come across as a very likable individual. The reason that I said to Greg, we should talk to him. Well, I, I've watched a, a, just a ton of your videos. I'm like, this guy is, I, I would like to talk to this guy. This guy's got there's something there. I'm like, I, I like what he's doing. I like how he's presenting it. He seems like someone I could sit down and have a conversation with. Um, and, I, and here we are. And, and yeah, here, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that. There's a, there's a great deal of YouTube content on any subject. There's a great deal of YouTube con uh, content. And a lot of it is made either to sell product, promote product. Um, it, there's a fair percentage of it that isn't passionate, isn't done out of the love of what they're doing. Um, and I think you can, regardless of the subject, I think when you're watching them, you can pick out the ones that like, this guy is doing this because he likes to do this. And that I think is where the audiences tend to eventually gravitate or at least should. So down the road, where do you see your channel headed? Are you going to, is this format kind of where you're going to be? Do you have any plans for new format, different, something different. Um, and, and I'm not saying that, wow, you should totally change your channel, but, you know, give us a peek. Is there like some secret thing about to happen that the viewers don't know about? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, one of the things I'm really looking forward to trying out is to do some uh, quite quick either introductory videos or um, how-tos on various historical games that I play. Um, I'm going to have the space at last to leave a table out so I can light it properly and put my cameras up and all that. Um, because I think what puts a lot of people off trying a new game is the same thing as them trying a new painting technique. Well, how hard can it really be? Oh, I don't want to read the rules. Oh, it's complex. No, 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 no. <laughs> we'll throw that out the window. We're gonna we're gonna apply the sonic sledgehammer method to playing games. Um, that's not gonna be a like the the shift in focus. It's gonna be a, not an appetizer. What's the word? Dessert. Mm. <laughs> little little bit here and there, um, but the format works. You know, I've still got things that I want to do to improve the look of the videos and um, you know different ranges and techniques, paints, all that sort of stuff that there's plenty to do. There's always something new coming out. Uh, so for the time being, not much is going to change. 
But the how I play things angle is something that I would like to introduce because I think there's a lot of games out there that people just haven't tried that they will love if they get a bit of a kick in their direction. Oh, I love that idea. That's that's fantastic. I would be excited to watch that because we play so many different games in our club and it's it's fun to hear people's sort of impressions of others. What uh, off the top of your head is as you think about this idea, what are a couple of those historical games you mentioned that you're that, that you're playing right now that you're excited about that could be candidates for how I play things? Uh, well, at the moment, anything which you can play solo is <laughs> it's kind of a really big <laughs> bonus. Um, so one that I really think is probably going to catch people's imagination a bit is Five Minute Kursk, which is from Nord of Weasel Games. Uh, that one's got quite a simple sort of decision tree for enemy AI. It's a squad-based game. So if you think back to like Minute War on the PC, if you remember mm -hmm. that sort of series, mm -hmm. it's a very similar sort of beer and pretzel style game. Um, but I've, I've run through a few games of it and really enjoyed it. So something that is simple and fun it just fits my fits my style down to a t so that's one that i want to do um but some of the others you know your classics like chain of command or um oh my mind's gone completely blank but i am gonna have to <laughs> i'm gonna have to play some more games you know that's that's gonna be the fun part yeah there's nothing wrong with playing more games that's that's for sure I, I'm curious because you are obviously having won a Caesar Award. You've demonstrated that you are one of the gods of the hobby. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> butter him up harder, Tony. Come on, I'm working on it, man. I'm working on it. So that said, given your lofty status in the community, um, what do you see? as trends for gaming in the future forget the fact that covid has annihilated anything we understood about gaming in public or in person but in terms of miniatures and products and gaming where do you see things headed in the future there's so much 3d printing and and so many new games coming out yeah, solo games too. You know, that's that's you know, are they here to stay? Yeah, a lot of related questions to this as you look at the future. Hmm. Um, I think, I mean, first of all, on the subject of three D printing, there is nobody in the world who will overstate the value of three D printing than somebody who has a three D printer. And I say this as somebody who prints his own miniatures. Um, there's a way to go yet before they are going to truly upend the you know, the industry, as people continue to claim, oh, 3D printing is going to kill plastic kits. No, it's not. Um, until these things are Star Trek replicators, where you push a button and toys come out, there are so many things that you, they are a hobby in and of themselves. Things can go wrong. You There's a whole set of, of knowledge and skills that you need to practice to get a decent result from your 3D printer. So... If you're not invested in that, they're not for everybody. There's always going to be a place for plastic kits or metal miniatures as well. So keep saying plastic. I know metal has its place. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, 3D printing, I'm really interested to see where it goes and what it permits people to do, especially smaller companies that want to get these designs and sort of proof of concept games out to the market. 
but it's not going to completely flip the industry on its head in the next five years. Um, solo gaming, I think, is something we're going to see a lot more of. Even after the current situation is dealt with, I think the value in being able to pull out just a handful of miniatures and play a game, you know, it's fun. And with more people having sort of essentially been forced in that direction, uh, the resources online are, are there now in a way that they weren't a year ago. <laughs> so I think we are going to see more people branching out as a, as a consequence into new games or eras of historical wargaming that they might not have tried previously. Because if you can throw the idea out of, oh, I really want to do 30 years war, but nobody at my club plays that. Guess what? They don't need to. You play it. <laughs> um, that's something I'm really interested to see. Um, and off the top of my head, if there's anything which I think we're going to see more of in the next five years, Games Workshop's game-in-a-box sort of things have been around for a while, but looking at how um, Great Escape games, you know, if you look at Dead Man's Hand or mm, the yes. Chicago Way, yes, I think we're going to see more two-player skirmish boxes. You know, game-in-a-box experiences are super valuable as, a, as an introduction to your brand, as it were, and I think we're going to see more of that from folks that just want to put something out um hopefully some of them would be good <laughs> that would be nice too <laughs> well if we're uh, if we're forecasting the future troy let's uh let's talk for just a second about the future of your channel i know you said it's a happy accident that you got to where you got but you've got over forty thousand subscribers now uh are you are you seeing the channel as something that could become a full-time job for you? Is that something that you would want? I mean, do you want to be a professional YouTuber or is this a hobby? You know, it is a question that I had not really pondered except for the last maybe six months. Um, seeing it actually come together has been really interesting. And as a result of sort of my, my name ending out, out there in the public, um, you know, I've gotten in contact with some really awesome people. I've had some great opportunities come up. Would I want to do it professionally? Um, I think it would always require that I'm able to say no to uh, a company or whatever, because you know, if you if you ever see me promote something, you know, if if I think of myself as a full time YouTuber, let's just say that the danger is always there that I'm not being genuine about what I'm sort of putting on the channel. Um, and if you look at anything where I promote a product or what have you, it's because I genuinely use it and really like it. So the, the measure of could I make this work professionally, it would depend in a large way on can I stay, can I stay honest with viewers? Um, I would love to make this something more serious. Um, you know, I I really would like to continue with what I'm doing because, as I said earlier, you know, people, they come and tell me that it helps. And that's, 
I am a huge softy and I like hearing that. So the the warm fuzzies are a pretty powerful motivator in that respect. So for the foreseeable future is is the short answer. Well, Tony, I've got one last uh, really uh, sneaky question here for Troy. But before I get into my my sneaky question that he's not expecting, what else is on your mind? Do you got anything else? I think we've picked his brain pretty thoroughly. Uh, I I am looking forward to seeing the how I game things content. Mm -hmm. Uh, You did touch on discussion of uh, some things that you felt that needed more discussion for new painters, like the various brands of paints and how they perform and um, thinning your paints and, and stuff of that nature. Do you have plans to do some content specifically on on that sort of stuff? Yeah. Ironically enough, <laughs> a little <laughs> bit of self-promotion lurking in there, but uh, yes, um, one of the things that I want to do when I'm finished moving is to essentially test the new recording setup by demonstrating some different paints. Um, people ask quite regularly what's the difference between two or three lines, and um, yeah, it would be neat to be able to just demonstrate and as well answer that gripping question of how much water do I thin my paint with, which is never the same answer twice. Right. And hopefully you're going to do a in there, you'll throw in a tutorial about wet palettes because I have some friends who use wet palettes and like, oh, you should be doing them. And I'm freaking terrified of, of that idea. I've been doing this. I've been doing this this way since the late 70s. And by God. I'd like to say my way works fine, but the truth of the matter is that there are some techniques that I'll see somebody, including you, do, and I'm like, "Uh, no, that scares the crap out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wet palettes are a funny one, because I was in a very similar boat to you for quite a while of, no, I don't need one, my way works. And then I tried one, and life changed for the better. Damn it. (laughs) It's terrible, right? Um, I would say that they aren't they aren't a genuine need, but they are a very nice to have. So, yeah, that's something where at some point I'll have to actually touch on comparison-wise and go, here's, here's how my painting, or at least my method, has gotten easier as a result of this tool. All right, Greg, what's your top secret question? This is a question I love asking gamers, especially who are really into painting. Um, Troy, I would love to know what is currently on what we will call in the hobby your pile of shame, because I know every gamer has miniatures sitting in the back corner of their desk or maybe under the desk that they intended to paint for the longest time, and they just keep getting kind of pushed to the back burner as new projects come up. And what what's on that pile for you? Because I know that you've got one and you just haven't told us about it yet. I don't. I don't have a pile of shame. I have a. I have a small landmass of shame. It's. Uh, <laughs> um, it's embarrassing. Like packing to move house. I have been confronted with the dangers of impulse purchasing and three D printing and <laughs> a collection that spans decades. Uh, what is my pile of shame? Well, something that I've always wanted to finish and just have somehow never found the time for 
um, is I have a bunch of French infantry from Warlord Games, uh, which have been assembled and are glowering at me as they move between two or three different cases each time I need to find space. You know, that would be, if I were to finish a project tomorrow, I would love for it to be the, the small French army, but I have just, whoo, <laughs> always seems to move in favor of something that isn't brown, you know? <laughs> we all have it, you know? We've, we've all got something sitting in the back corner of the desk. Anybody who's in this hobby, and I know that I've got my own pile of shame here, Tony, I'm sure that you have, uh, I'm sure you have your pile of shame that you're hiding as well. <laughs> oh, yes. Small landmass, as Troy said, small landmass of shame. Uh, well, uh, Troy, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about your channel and about where you've gone and where you might be going in the future with uh, Sonic Sledgehammer Studio. Um, uh, sort of bonus final question here. Uh, do you, uh, do you look at all at other platforms that you could be expanding onto? I mean, folks, uh, f um, YouTube is clearly, clearly your focus. I know you're active on Twitter as well. Cause I, I see you tweeting on a pretty regular basis. Uh, do you think about other social media platforms or are you, are you trying to stay focused? Uh, where can people find your content? Uh, YouTube is mostly what I'm concentrating on. Um, I think it just fits the format of what I'm trying to do better than some of the other platforms that are out there. Uh, Instagram, when Instagram has a desktop client, I will probably use that a little bit more. I, I hate tapping away on my phone to try and fill out a description. Um, and I think as well, with all the love in the world for my own work, it doesn't really attract a whole lot of attention in a place where the world's best painters are showing off their stuff. So Instagram is, uh, yeah, it would be nice, but while I'm dreaming, I'd like a pony sort of thing. Um, so yeah, YouTube is the easiest place to find my content. Twitter is the easiest place to talk to me. Um, yeah, Facebook, I'm trying to avoid for the most part, because it's always trying to get me to sell something and <laughs> nah, I don't want to. <laughs> Uh, yes, Tony has a curious relationship with Mr. Zuckerberg, don't you, Tony? So I think he understands your, your lack of love for the Facebook. I'm a hardened Facebook criminal. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck on the move, Troy. I know that's coming up. Uh, I hope it goes well. Uh, anytime you're moving a mountain of miniatures along with all the rest of your stuff, I know that's uh, not something people probably look forward to, but... Uh, I hope, I hope that goes well for you and that we have the opportunity to talk again sometime because uh, this was this was, this was fun and Tony and I are both huge fans of what you do on the channel. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your time and your insights and your sense of humor. Uh, very much appreciate that you could you could spend some time with us this morning. Oh, not at all, guys. Uh, thank you very much for getting in touch. You know, I saw the message pop up and I was really excited. So, you know, like I said, thank you. <laughs> it's a very kind thing said today and I'm going to go and take that and just buzz for a bit <laughs> I see Kev Dalmore's stuff mm. I'm like oh I, I'm always completely floored by his stuff but I know that because that's not what I do for a living and that I've got a full-time job already and I've got a, a, a yard to maintain and, you know, grandkid on the way and all this other stuff going on in my life that, 
that's not for me except to admire from a distance. <laughs> On the other hand, you're doing the sort of thing that I, that I'm trying to do over here. I've got this, I foolishly promised somebody at the club that I would have miniatures for such and such a game on such and such a date. And <laughs> we've all been there. Don't, don't give me that look. <laughs> I didn't say a word. <laughs> yeah. Just thought it very loudly. <laughs> right. <laughs>